Holy Spirit, we thank you that what you desire to do today in our midst is not to give us just knowledge from the written word, but to impart something to us from heaven, to impart more of the presence of Jesus and what it truly means uh, to live a worthy life of this calling that we have, Lord, as people of the good news of Jesus Christ. So we pray that today, Lord, that we would leave having received an impartation from you of the presence of Jesus a greater knowledge of who he is, and a greater sense of intimacy and longing for him. It's in his mighty name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. And good morning to you on Facebook. Uh, There's a gospel out there, a gospel, that might be called the Your Best Life Now gospel. And uh, that is... The idea that God's primary goal in life is to make you prosper materially, take all suffering away from you, and protect you from every attack of your enemies. There's all kinds of nonsense like this on the shelves at Barnes & Noble if you go. In fact, if St. Paul had ever written a book, uh, it would be very hard to find at Barnes & Noble because it would never be on one of those display cases where they're trying to like show the best sellers. Because St. Paul... If he had written any kinds of books on the Christian life, I want to give you some titles that I came up with that I think they would have uh, sounded like. How to Embrace the Joys of Suffering for Christ. Jailbird, Songs for Those Who Spend Their Days in Prison. Shipwrecked, Beaten, and Abandoned, The Joys of the Christian Life. They wouldn't be bestsellers today, would they? Because there's a gospel out there that says that if you're not prospering and always doing well and feeling great and feeling happy, then something's wrong. God's not blessing you. But I don't think that's the gospel that we find in Scripture. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all about God's blessing. And if God has prospered you with riches, then as, as the word says, do not set your heart on it. You know, use it for God's glory. But we have really lost in many ways in our culture, in our Western culture, what it means to live a worthy life, a life that is uh, willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And St. Paul lived that life. All of the early apostles lived that life. All of the early Christians lived that life. And so they were not reading, you know, three keys to get your blessing or seven steps to uh, heavenly prosperity in all of these books. They would have known nothing of that. Or any Christians in uh, Iran today, or Sudan, or anywhere where there's uh, communist regimes, or they're under Islamic uh, territory. They know nothing of this sort of gospel of everything goes great for you, and that means you have God's blessing. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm just as guilty as anybody else, because I start whining about being under attack when my organic oat milk coffee creamer is gone. Okay? Talk about American suffering, right? But in all honesty, God has been teaching me uh, personally so much about what it is to live a gospel-centered life and that it's 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 not always easy and that through the suffering, something is happening in us. We are being given the opportunity to live what Paul calls a worthy life. So we're going to look at Philippians today. Uh, the context of this passage, this is a letter written to a church in uh, an ancient city called Philippi. It was a, a city in Rome. And the context is that Paul is in prison again because of preaching the gospel. Because of preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. He is in shackles and chains once again. And yet he's 
rejoicing. If you read the first part of the chapter, he's celebrating and he says, because I'm in prison, the gospel has been spread through the prison. So praise God that I'm in jail. Wasn't worried about his coffee creamer being gone. He was praising God for his suffering. So let's just look, starting in verse 27 at this passage. Well, first I want to, I want to point out in verse 23, just Paul's attitude. He says, I'm torn between two things, life and death. I'm torn between life and death. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. How many of us can say, you know what? Death actually sounds kind of good right now because I have such a heavenly vision of who Christ is that to be face to face with him is far better than to keep walking this earth. Most of us don't. Let's be honest. Most of us are are terrified. We'll do anything to avoid death or aging or any of that because we've been conditioned to do so. And Paul says, actually, be a whole lot better if I could just die right now and come be home with the Lord. But he says, but on the other hand, if I continue on this earth, there's some more fruitful labor that I can carry out for the gospel. There's more fruit that I can bear. Right. So he saw, oh, you know, I didn't yet build up my retirement savings or he wasn't looking at it as, you know, there's still some more new business endeavors that I could get into and succeed in life. He said, no, it would be good for me to go on living because I can continue to work for Christ on this earth and spreading the gospel. And so this is Paul's mindset. He has a vision of what it means to live a worthy life. So verse 27 says this, whatever happens. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That phrase, conduct yourselves, in the Greek, literally says, live as citizens. I don't know exactly why it got translated in some translations as conduct yourselves, but it literally says in the Greek, live as citizens. So why does it mean, why does it say that? Why would Paul say, whatever you do, Christians, live as citizens? Well, Philippi was a free Roman colony. And so the Christians at Philippi knew what it meant to be citizens, free citizens, with all of the rights and privileges that come along with it in Philippi, right? They got their discounted annual Disney passes. They had freedom, you know, because they were citizens of this uh, colony in Rome. And Paul is using the language of live as citizens and he's elevating it to talk about heavenly things, right? That's why one Bible translation says live as citizens of heaven. So Paul is saying whatever happens, however you live, remember where your true citizenship is. It's not Philippi. It's heaven. It's the glorious realms of the presence of God. That is where your true citizenship is. So remember that and remember, remember where your allegiance ultimately lies. Okay. He's like, Philippi's great and you've got lots of benefits and all of that, but this is not where your allegiance is. Don't get caught up in the things of this world because your citizenship is ultimately in the eternal heavenly realms. And so Paul is always calling Christians to have a heavenly view of things, an eternal view of things. It's so difficult, isn't it, in a world where material goods are constantly clamoring for our attention and they're quite enjoyable. It can be difficult. It can be challenging. And this is where the word is so helpful for us to remind us uh, where we belong. So your knowledge of your citizenship, your rights and privileges in heaven is what will enable you to live a worthy life. 
your knowledge of your true citizenship is what will give you and enable you to live a worthy life. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said this about Christians. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we're seated with him in heaven by faith in his precious blood that he died for us and forgave us. We belong to him. And that's ultimately where we belong. So say this, I belong to heaven. You see, if we don't get this, if we don't get this fundamental reality of our citizenship and to whom we belong, we will not operate as people of the gospel who are sons and daughters, but as slaves. We won't think of ourselves if we don't believe that we have all the rights and privileges and every spiritual blessing that is available to us in the heavenly realms and the unseen realm. It'll be hard for us to really believe and live as if we're sons and daughters and ministers of the gospel. Because you see, you will be more effective the more that you understand your sonship or your daughtership. You know who you are in Christ, the more effective of a minister of the gospel you'll be. Without having your identity established as a citizen of heaven, you're just going to be spinning your wheels and trying to do things to keep God happy. Right? You're going to see things as you're doing, I'm doing my Christian chores rather than I'm a son or a daughter of heaven, and so I make the message of heaven known to the world. I walk in power. I have authority. I have everything that God has given me that I need to minister light to a dark world because I'm a son or I'm a daughter. And so many people fall away from Christ in this life because earth is more real to them than heaven. Because earth is more real to them than heaven. And so their earthly citizenship becomes more valued than their heavenly citizenship. Okay? That's, that's short-term thinking. Okay? Well, I can be happy and I can have all this and I can build a kingdom here on earth. You lose sight of your heavenly citizenship when that happens. Okay? That's why so many people fall away. Okay? This is why time in the Lord's presence is so crucial. This is why getting alone with, with Jesus is so crucial. Because what happens is, is that you enter into heaven, right? By faith, you turn your inward gaze to him and you enter into the heavenly realms where you actually are already seated according to the Bible and you just get in his presence and you allow him to speak to you. You allow him to give more of himself to you, to bless you, to strengthen you, for what is ahead. And what happens when we do that, there's a shifting in the soul of, and we need to do it often because our souls continually turn back to the world and the things of earth. And we need to do it often. We need to get in his presence often because he shifts our view back to eternal things that are the things of greatest importance. So being in his presence, as always, is a key to living as a citizen of heaven, living a worthy life. Worship, worship, what we do on Sunday in the corporate gathering or what you do in your personal private prayer closet in worship is a gateway into heaven. It's like a gateway into heaven. You have the opportunity to respond to worship by through faith and with your gaze set on the king to step through the gates of heaven and be with him. 
and enjoy him and give him the praises that are due his name. Amen? That will build you up and remind you to which place you really belong, where your citizenship truly is. And so let us never miss that opportunity. And being a church that we have such beautiful music and such beautiful worship, we have such an amazing opportunity to enter in every week together corporately into the heavenly places to be with our Lord. It's an amazing thing. Let's not take it for granted. Amen? So our Father in heaven wants to give us an eternal perspective so that we can navigate our time here fixated on the glorious Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. Okay? So to be fixated on the heavenly realms ultimately is to be fixated on Jesus, on the person of Jesus. Okay? Not just the gifts, but the giver himself. So if you have a Bible, just flip forward a few pages from Philippians to Colossians chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, Paul says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. So there's that language again to Christians that what's happened is that in Christ you've been raised up into the heavenly realms. And he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's heavenly citizenship. You've died to the things of this world, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then he says, when Christ who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in his glory. What if we lived like that promise was true? We'd have heavenly vision, wouldn't we? We'd live as if we truly were citizens of heaven. Three things, three markers of heavenly citizenship. We're going to jump back into Philippians and run through a couple more verses in this uh, chapter, chapter 1. There's three markers of heavenly citizenship. What does a, 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 a worthy life look like? What does a worthy life look like? There's three things here that Paul lists before us. I'm going down to the end of verse 27 to start with his list of three things. The first is this. He says, stand firm in one spirit. Stand firm in the one spirit. You see, there's no such thing as a Christian life without the unity, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Y'all tracking with me? There's no such thing as a Christian life without the unity, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one who makes Jesus real to us. He's the one who makes heaven real to us. He's the one who reminds us that we are one together with our Father in heaven. So divisiveness and bickering amongst Christians, which there's a whole lot of going on right now, are signs that we're not standing firm in one spirit. And there's need for repentance. Because divisive and divisiveness and bickering are things that are clearly signs in Scripture that we're divided in a way that should not be true of us. Because the Holy Spirit lives in all of us. And that is the source and the foundation of our unity. There also needs to be, to stand firm in one spirit, there needs to be unity of belief. 
Okay, don't ever let anyone tell you, well, what you believe doesn't matter so much as long as you live a good life. That's just not true. That's not what the Bible says. There needs to be unity of belief. There needs to be an agreement on the fundamental truths of what Scripture teaches about who Jesus is, that he's the only way to salvation, about what sin is and what righteousness is, what eternal life is. There needs to be unity about that. Christianity is not a free-for-all. They just believe whatever you want as long as you attach the name Jesus to it, right? That's why we sit under the word. That's why we sit under teaching. That's why we have small groups, right? That's why we do alpha courses to learn what it is, the doctrines and the beliefs that unite Christians together because what we believe, as we talked about last week, about God is the most important thing about us. What we believe to be true about God is the most important thing about us. And so when our hearts are united by the work of the Holy Spirit, we stand firm together in one spirit, it's because God's spirit is enabling us to be humble yielded to the truth and yielded to one another we don't think about this often enough our role to yield to one another ephesians says submit yourselves to one another let there be mutual submission amongst you be yielded to each other number two is this and he says it right afterwards He says, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. It literally means contending side by side. See, if we're at, if we're, if we're dividing and bickering over silly little things, how can we stand side by side and be effective warriors for the kingdom? We've got too many little battles going on in our own kingdom, right? That are hindering us from moving forward and advancing God's kingdom together side by side bringing all of the gifts that we all bring to the table and using them together to build up the church and to reach the community around us so striving together for the faith of the gospel that is this the true faith that it's jesus christ and him crucified who died for our sins that's the center of the faith it is right jesus christ and him crucified so contending together for that truth that jesus is the way That Jesus is the way to the Father. And you see, the the trouble with this kind of thing, with Christian teaching and Christian truth in, in in a pagan culture like ours is that it disrupts and it ruffles feathers because our culture is relativistic. Do you know what I mean by that? It means that whatever one believes subjectively is true for them. That truth originates in the human mind. So if you want to believe that buddha gets you eternal life or allah gets you eternal life then it's true because you believe it in your mind nothing could be further from the truth what's true is what god has revealed to be true okay and so standing firm and standing on on the message that jesus christ is the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father but by him it disrupts the status quo And we don't have that message on our lips enough because we know that it does. And we don't want to raise the ire of people who oppose us. I had a dream uh, that I'll share with you, a piece of it, recently. And I was uh, at the mall. And probably because we had been doing evangelism at the mall recently. But I was at the mall and I was talking to a group of people, uh, of young people. and, and, And I was talking to them about Christ and sharing the gospel. And the one guy said, yeah, I think Jesus is great, you know. But he's just one of those, you know, he's the one that you choose. But everybody pretty much can just make up their own belief system or whatever. And I And then I said to him, but I said, but that's not what Jesus says. 
I said, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And you know what happened in the dream? As soon as I started saying that verse, supernaturally, my voice was broadcast over the intercom system in the mall. And do you know what that meant to me? The Father was speaking in that dream, and he said, this is the message that I want spread throughout the mall and the nations. This is what need, There's an urgency that this message needs to be spread because the time is growing short. The time is growing short. And I think we see signs of that all throughout our culture, our nation, and the world right now. The Father's heart is that we would get that message out because he so loved the world that he sent his son to die that whoever believes in him would not perish because he's the only one who died for sins. Okay? So, striving together for this one faith, the early Christians gave their lives for it. They were, they were bold. I'm re- reading this book called, um, about Christianity in the first four centuries and how it read. It's by a hi- historian from Yale. And he says, uh, he, he puts all these quotes in from historical documents and people are just fascinated by Christians because they're like, they walk out into the li- into the gladiator ring, into the lions, uh, to the lions and they like don't even look afraid. They just had, they just had such powerful encounters with the presence of Jesus that they just knew what was going to happen to them. And they wouldn't renounce him and, and give, you know, pinch incense to the emperor and say that the emperor was God. And they just boldly went into the rings, men, women, and children. What, what a faith they knew to which country they belonged. They had a heavenly vision of their citizenship. Okay? They, saw, they saw things from an eternal perspective and not one from a worldly perspective. So then Paul, here's the third thing. We strive together for one faith. And then he says this, without fear, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Remember when Jesus was in the synagogue and it said many of the, he was teaching and it said many of the Jewish leaders, this is in John chapter 12, it said many of the Jewish leaders believed in him, but they did not say it because they feared man rather than God. It said that they cared more about the glory that comes from men than the glory that comes from God. And so they didn't publicly confess that Jesus was Lord. But the Lord says to us, I think we just heard this in one of the gospel readings one of the last couple weeks, that if you confess me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. If you deny my name, if you refuse to profess me before men, I will. De- my heavenly Father will deny you. Ah, we don't take it seriously enough. It's that urgent to the Father to have things like that in His Word so that it would shake us. That we'd get over the fear of man and profess who the Lord is. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy. And God is patient, thanks be to God. But it's something that we should all be striving for. You, so, so fear of opposition is something that Paul says, don't be frightened of it. Don't be frightened of opposition. That's a dangerous place to go to become frightened of opposition because you'll never share the gospel if you're frightened of opposition. Right now, there's lawsuits if you won't uh, bake a cake for a gay wedding because you have biblical convictions, but tomorrow it'll be something else. It'll become more intense. You won't be able to stand on what Scripture says about X, Y, or Z without some kind of persecution, maybe losing your business, maybe eventually going to jail. Thank God we don't have to deal with that yet. But who knows? The time is coming. And we have to realize we cannot be of the world. So listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. 
Paul knew this. Paul, Paul was hated. After he became a Christian, Paul was hated. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. Okay, be, be, be cautious if the world completely embraces you. Okay, this is what he's saying. As it is, though, Jesus says, you do not belong to the world. Where do you belong? Heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. Jesus says, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. To be a Christian is to be taken by God and picked up and made a citizen of heaven. He's taken you out of the world. Not physically, you're in it, but you're not of it. And he says this, that is why the world hates you. And then he says, Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And the Bible says in so many places in the New Testament, if you suffer for bearing the name of Christ, consider yourself blessed for the spirit of God and of glory rests on you. How, when's the last time you were suffering and you rejoiced? I'm out of oat milk creamer. Oh, God, why? I can't drink my coffee black. So the question for us is, does our faith and our stance for issues on righteousness, this is just something that's huge right now because of what's going on politically in the world. There's a lot at stake in this election. But does our, does our stance on righteousness and issues of morality make it clear to the world that we are not of the world? Because Jesus says it should. He says, the world hates me because I speak to it about its sin. In John chapter 7. And so many Christians have spent their Christian life trying to fit Jesus into a worldly cultural system that they want to belong to because of the fear of rejection. We should rather be seeds for the kingdom in the culture. Creating culture. Speaking truth to the culture. Even when it brings persecution and opposition. If you're a citizen of heaven, you'll share heaven's values. If you're a citizen of heaven, you'll share heaven's values. You'll share heaven's views. I saw recently, there's so much going on in the nation, but one video that I saw was just especially provocative, and there was a a young black preacher in Vancouver, Canada, preaching, not being obnoxious. He was preaching and making a call for people to get baptized. And there were groups from different organizations that I will not name to be to, to, to not be political that were screaming obscenities, shooting confetti in his face from things as he baptized people in water. That's really nothing. And that's happening all over the world. In some of these protests and riots, they're burning Bibles. And they're saying Christianity is white colonialism and all that stuff. So how will you deal with that? It's just beginning. Okay. Now, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to be doom and gloom. Oh, my gosh, everything's so bad and we're so persecuted. No, we're not. We you Go visit, you know, North Korea, a house church in North Korea or something, okay? And that'll be a wake-up call. We have many blessings and many things to be thankful for, but the trajectory on which our country move is moving and where the whole world is moving makes it imperative for us to know that we are citizens of heaven and not of earth. 
because if not, we won't have the boldness to stand for the truth and to preach the gospel and to bring light into the darkness. So, here are the results and the rewards of living a life worthy of the gospel. You will see miracles abound. Your spiritual authority will increase as you continue a life faithful to the gospel. So think about Paul's Christian life, which pretty much all of it was suffering, traveling around the Roman Empire in the Greco-Roman world, spreading the gospel in the first centuries of the church, always on the go, always getting shipwrecked, beaten, abandoned, imprisoned, scoffed at, arrested, all of those things for pretty much all of his life. He was once stoned so bad he almost died. And this was the kind of spiritual authority that he walked in. There's just an example. This is in Romans chapter 15. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles, that is, unbelievers, to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. You want to see signs and wonders in your life. If you want to be a vessel of the miraculous power of God, you need to know that you're a citizen of heaven. You need to be willing to suffer for Christ. Most of us haven't tasted that yet because we haven't yet ventured into the waters of really beginning to speak openly about Christ. Okay? I mean, God is patient with us, and it's, you know, you might have somebody like give you a dirty look or say, like, get out of here with that junk. Who cares? Right? Somebody might shoot confetti in your face if you're preaching publicly. But what is that? Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me daily. For what is it, what is, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? What does it profit you to have earthly riches and the best retirement plan ever? All the mansions and vacations in the world. What does it profit you to have all that and to ultimately lose your life? Because you decided that your citizenship was on earth rather than in heaven. So, the rewards are of a worthy life. Living as a citizen is heaven is that you'll see miracles. You'll see people saved through the word of your testimony. You will see your own intimacy with Jesus deepen continually. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that will bring you closer to Jesus than suffering. Am I right? There's nothing that will bring you closer to Jesus than suffering. Now, you don't go looking for it, right? You don't, you know, like the old monks that would smack their backs with those whips and, you know, <laughs> you don't go looking for it. But you're willing to walk through whatever Jesus calls you to walk through. And when you see him face to face, you'll hear, well done. I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about something that was troubling me. And I had this thought, and I think it came from the Holy Spirit. And the thought was, when I see you face to face, I'll realize that it was all worth it. 
Just keep that picture in your mind of seeing Jesus face to face and the way he will look at you and welcome you and say, well done. You avoided suffering and persecution and built tons of wealth. (laughs) He'll say, well done. You were not ashamed of my name. You proclaimed the gospel. You fed the poor. You comforted the lonely. You cared for the sick. You poured yourself out to raise children. You gave beyond your means. You lived as a citizen of heaven, a worthy life. Welcome into the joy of my presence. We need to have that vision. We need to know who we are in Christ so that we can change the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when we have an opportunity to suffer for the name of Christ, whether that's mockery or going to jail, that your spirit of glory rests on us. That no matter what the world would try to take away from us or impose upon us, no one can take your presence away from us. And there's no greater treasure because this is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Father, we ask that you would send Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts today. Lord, to just... to, to to take down walls of fear, that you would break down walls of fear that have been in in our hearts for many years that keep us from doing the the things that you call us to do. Those those walls of fear that hinder us from being who you call us to be. And help us to know, Lord, help us to know that when those walls come down and we walk over them, the joy that we'll have the joy that we'll have in in finding total freedom to move in you. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, you paid the ultimate price of suffering so that we could be citizens of heaven. So, Lord, we just give the rest of this time to you today. We ask that you would really take our hearts up to where you are so that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.